Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. We've been taking our time through the first three chapters. promise you we will speed up after that. And right now, I just think there's so many elementary principles here in, in the first couple of chapters of Genesis leading up to, uh, to, to the fall of man. I just, uh, just got to take time through them. So let's pray. God, we ask that as we open your word that our lives would be changed again. Um, Lord, there's just no, uh, there's no substitute for your word. Uh, and we ask, Lord, that it would have full effect this morning in, in my life as, as I'm reading and preaching, Lord, and as in our lives, as we hear. We pray that it would land on good ground and there would be uh, a harvest, Lord. And so we pray, God, that, uh, any misconceptions we've had about life, any misconceptions we have about you, Lord, Lord, that your spirit would work these things out as we continue through your word. Jesus, you said uh, that you desired to be handing out your word above food. Lord, I pray that we would hunger and thirst after this righteousness. We'd hunger and thirst after you, Lord, above all else. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, chapter uh, 2, verse 4. This starts a new uh, segment in Genesis, and it starts with, This is the account or the genealogy of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. All throughout Genesis, it's divided not by chapters. That came later on. It's divided by this phrase, and this is the account of the heavens, or this is the account or genealogy of Adam, or this is the account and genealogy of Noah, and it keeps on going. It's divided by this phrase, and so you'll see this actually all throughout the Bible. That's why when you get to Matthew, it starts with the genealogy. It makes sense because it's leading up to the person of Jesus Christ. The book of Genesis, if we didn't know it, we say it's the book of beginnings, but it is actually about Jesus. It's about Jesus. God is, is funneling this picture from creation to a nation to the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what he is doing. He is the central person in all of history. That is what it is all about. And so as we go through these scriptures, uh, keep that in mind. But this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. If you, if you notice this time, in chapter 1, it was the, the word God which is Elohim, which speaks of him being the creator. And now it's Lord God. And when you see that capital, L-O-R-D, that is the personal name of God. And it comes from the verb to be, which is where he, we get I am. And so now in chapter 2, God is dealing with, he's creating man, and, it's, and I believe it's from man's perspective. But it is now Lord God. When he chooses to reveal himself to us, he lets us know he gives us his personal name, I am. What is the significance of that? What do we need? What are we in need of in this life? God wants you to go to him for it. I am that. I am the source. And this is how he reveals himself to his people. You'll see this in Exodus. Moses will say, well, when I go to the people, when I go to the people in Egypt, what should I tell them? Who, you know, what, who's sending me? He says, tell them I am that I am have sent them. 
And you see all throughout the Bible, Jesus, uh, Jesus, the very name of Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. God is salvation. You'll see these different names throughout the, the Bible. You want to have righteousness, Jehovah's uh, Kanu, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom. All these great names that God wants us to, to come to him as the source of all we need. And so he reveals himself here in chapter 2 when he starts to deal with, with man as Lord. That word Lord came from in English, you know, it's like how, how, in our, in our uh, culture, how would we get the idea of someone being the source of all we need? How would we translate into our language? So back in King James Day, when they were translating the Bible there in, in their language, they're saying, well, Lord is the word that we're going to use. And that was the idea of the, a Lord of a house. And what he would do is he would provide, he would, would, there would be an open house and there would be bread, and he would leave it open for all to come and eat, whoever needed it. They were welcome to come in and eat. And so this idea of Lord, this benevolent, giving, providing, authoritative person, and so that's the best word that they had in their time to put in there. So when you see L-O-R-D in all capitals, that is the personal name of God. And it, and it varies from different uh, translation, how they do it. It might be capital L, lowercase L. And we'll talk, you can study that by reading the front of your Bible. But regardless, uh, the personal name of God, wanting us to know that he is everything that we need. So chapter 1 is an overview of God creating the heavens and the earth. And chapter 2... It, it switches using Lord God, Jehovah Elohim. I am Almighty is what's now used in chapter 2, verse 4. And so verse 5 says, Now no shrub yet had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The spark of life. They wonder how it happened. We have here, it tells us, how did man become a living being? God breathed into man and he became a living being. The word for breath here in Hebrew is ruach. And the word is, is kind of the sound of breath. But it's translated uh, as, as spirit in the New Testament. It's the same word for Holy Spirit, spirit. Breath. God put his spirit into man and he became alive. How does man become a new creation in Christ Jesus? We're dead in our sins and trespasses, are we not? John 3, verse 8, Jesus says, Very truly I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born in the Spirit. The way we are truly alive is when God places His Spirit in us through faith in Christ. Interesting, just for your own study. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more. But what is the significance? Why did God change Abraham's name, uh, Abram's name to Abraham? Why did God change Sarah's, Sarah's name and Sarah, to Sarah, Sarah? What do you think he could be adding in there? We'll get there later on in a couple million chapters. <clears throat> Verse 8, 
And now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground. The trees were pleasing to the eye, and they were good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so Eden is this special garden. God is giving a detailed location as to where it was. It was in the east. It was for Adam and Eve to live in. And that there were all kinds of trees in there. All kinds of trees. And notice the characteristics of these trees. And they were pleasing to the eye and they were good for food. This will be important to note as we move forward. So that in that garden, there were two prominent trees. Two prominent trees in the middle of the garden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Bible has uh, little to say about the tree of life. It's, it's in various places, but in Genesis chapter 3, 22, it says, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and to take also from the tree of life and live forever. Very interesting. Revelation 2, 7 says, Whoever is yours, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious. I'm going to give them the right to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And lastly, Revelation 22, 1 through 3 says, Then the angel showed me a river of water, of the, of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. And so there are these three sections of Scripture speak uh, directly about the tree of life. There are allusions other places that we'll talk about just for a second. But the first about the tree is that is in the Garden of Eden, this tree had the ability to sustain life. Don't ask me how, what its purpose, all this stuff. That's, I'm just telling you the facts. It had the ability to sustain life. In Revelation 2, we see that it's a reward for those who overcome and who are victorious in the church to, to the church of Ephesus. He spoke to them. And its location was in the paradise of God. And lastly, in Revelation 22, it is the fruit. And the fruit is produced monthly and it has leaves bringing healing to the nations. And so the big picture here, when you, when you see the, the, the tree of life, it's just what it's saying. It's a tangible tree that was designed for Adam and Eve to eat, and somehow they were sustained by it. I don't understand the theology or the impact behind all that, but that's kind of what we see. But I also think it's interesting that she, and there's another observation, that this tree of life first appears in Genesis. But when man, and while man was ruling over the earth, but when he forfeited that, that tree disappears, and it's disappeared to this day. And it pops up again in Revelation at the end, I believe in the millennial reign, when we see that man is now supposed to reign and rule with Christ. And so there are these images throughout uh, the scriptures that talk about this tree being associated with life and with Christ and ruling. And what's really fascinating to me is Proverbs, uh, it, well, actually, it is the contrast of the tree of life with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. you got two trees plunked in the middle of the garden. God says, hey, don't eat this one, you're going to die. You can eat everything else. Now this is pre-fall, okay? What is the significance of those two trees? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Proverbs 3 
13 through 18. Let me just read this for you. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and left hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are always pleasant and her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Weird. Just saying that wisdom and understanding is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Obviously, this is poetry. But I, I find it interesting that as you go back to the garden, you're looking at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And it is comparing, contrasting, going to a source other than God for wisdom, understanding, and life. Or going to God's provision for wisdom, understanding, life. When they went to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said, you're going to die. And as we will read here in chapter 3, when they went for it, they went for it for the reasons that it was shiny, it was pretty, looked like it could make them wise, it was good for food. tree of life. I wonder what would happen if they had just been, just go to God. And this I believe is the spiritual contrast of this, this situation we have in the garden with two trees. And it's for us this morning. Who do we choose to go to for life? We've all written of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We all do. But in your circumstances, in your daily life, God has set opportunity in front of you to go to Him and His provision or the world and death. And so this is the challenge that faces mankind. goes on. And I, I want to read uh, a different section of Scripture. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So wisdom and knowledge should be found in God. It's not that knowledge is bad. Knowledge is information. Wisdom is how to apply that, that, uh, that information. And I would say godly wisdom, the wisdom we shall be living with, is how God would apply that. God never wanted Adam and Eve to discover about sin and good and evil and all these things apart from him. It was through his worldview that he wanted us and them to see how life is supposed to be. And how often we just block out our creator who designed us and who made us and say, you know, I got it, God. I'm going to go over to hear this person, listen to their stuff. And they don't have the spirit of God in them. Might sound great might look like it's wise but if it's not how he says it it's not wise at all it leads to death doesn't that sound narrow-minded what did jesus say about the paths wide and broad and narrow wide and broad is the path to destruction but narrow Man, my way is narrow. You come to me. All the other things pulling at you. You come to me for life. Let me show you the way.
Let me tell you what things are really about. Let me talk to you about how I see marriage. Let me tell you how I see relationships. Let me tell you how I see money. Let me tell you how I see the world, neighbors, sickness, all these things. Let me show you how to have life. God is drawing us to him this morning. We're not meant to do this alone. So the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. I love that verse. Wisdom comes from him. And so we're going to see Adam and Eve, they decided to do what they decided to do in chapter 3. We all know. They decided to go to the other deal. So the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, two prominent trees in the garden. More about these in chapter 3. They're significant. Verse 10, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and there, uh, from there it was separated into four headwaters. So you got rivers flowing out of the Garden of Eden. The name of the first was uh, Pison, uh, Pison, whatever it is. Uh, it winds through the entire land of Havalah where there is gold. So there is gold in the land, and it was good. Aromatic resin and oxine, uh, onyx were there also. And the name of the second river is Gion. Uh, it winds through the entire land of Cush, and the name of the third river is Tigris, and it runs along the east side of Esher, and the fourth river was Euphrates. Two of these rivers we're familiar with. And most likely what happened is there's a flood. Everything gets destroyed. And there are rivers, and so people rename them after f- things that are familiar to them. And so these rivers are gone in their original state. But notice that God is is geographically accurate. The Bible is accurate. It starts talking about places. And it's amazing how, oh, there were no Hittites. There were never Hittites. You know, this is a fictional people in the Bible. You know, these people, these people go, the Bible is not, can't be trusted, any of this stuff. And then all of a sudden, archaeologists digging up, oh, the king of the Hittites, what's this? <laughs> okay, well, maybe they were Hittites. Uh, it, it's true, through and through, down to the geography. It's amazing. But the Tigris and the Euphrates were there. And so many people believe that this area is in modern-day Iraq. I don't know. We had the, the flood, so it got uh, messed up. But verse 15 says, Then the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And I mentioned this the other week. God placed man in the garden before the fall with the intention to work and to take care of things, to be a good steward. Now, I think this is important. I think when, when we fail to do what God's created for us, whether, when it's either in, in our relationships with one another, whether it's how we view marriage, or whether it's, you know, all this type of stuff. When we, when we fail to operate as God tells us to operate, there are things uh, that go wrong in our lives. You know, we were created for work. We were created for relationships, and God lays it out here. And so part of, don't you feel good when you've worked? Don't you feel good when you work hard and, and you accomplish something and you see what you had in your head come about? Don't you love that? I mean, there's just a satisfaction. God put that in us. And he wants us to work that out. He put us in there. That is in our DNA. The problem is sin gets in there and everything gets messed up, which we'll talk about in chapter 3. Okay, so next week, chapter 3, all right? We'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move forward there. But we're to work. And we're also to take care of the environment we've been placed in. Your home, the people around you, your work. We're to honor God where we are. 
right? So are we being wise stewards? Are we making it better? Are we making it a blessing? When people walk in, does it represent, does it represent Christ? You know what I'm saying? Because if we are placed here to reflect him, what should the things around us look like? To the best of our abilities, right? And boy, you know, we can get into all kinds of details and stuff, but I think you know the heart of it, and that's the concern. Are we doing what, what we can with the abilities that God's given and set before us? Are we doing the best, you know? And so, for man, um, he was put in there to work. And verse 16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, this is the first command, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. So this is the first verbal command we have, God gives man. And God gives commands... He gives boundaries. God is a God, God of, of morals. God is a God of law. God is a God of... Why, why would God tell him not to eat of these things? And why would God tell him when you do it, you're going you're gonna to hurt? Why do you do that to your children? This is partially for our benefit, but I mean... <laughs> but God lays out you know, God gives freedom for man's benefit, doesn't he? He gives us freedom. But he also gives us boundaries for our benefit. He loves us. So God clearly laid out the consequences for eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's going to be death. Don't do it. Don't want you to do it. And this is a principle. Anytime we go against what God says, it brings death. This is a principle. Anytime we go against what God says, it's death. So what do we need to know? Everybody? What God says. That's pretty important, right? What is the one thing that is the hardest for us to do? I think there's a little bit of warfare going on there. If the enemy can take away what God says out of your life, out of your lifestyle, if he can make it a little less important, and what other people say or what ungodly influences say affect you more than what he says. That's all it takes. You'll, we'll see this next week when he starts talking with the woman, right? What did God really say? So how can we put the word of God in the right place in our lives. It should be like food to us, spiritual food. You know, what, however God's done. You know, I'm not much of a, I'll, I'll listen to it on tape or I'll listen to messages online or whatever while I'm working and doing my thing. I do it differently. Everybody can do it differently, but just getting the Word of God in your life. Amen? Sacrificing the talk radio for me or whatever it might be and listening to a little bit more things that are going to actually make a difference. So he said to the man, don't do this, you're going to die. And when God says it, it happens. Verse 18, right? Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper, helper suitable for him. Up to this point, 
there is a repetition that God repeats after each of the days of creation. He says, man, it is good. It is good. And he saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were whatever day. And it was good. And it was good. And it was good. And now he gets here and he sees man. He creates man. And Adam's standing there alone. And what does God say? It is not good. When God something is, says something is not good, that should stick out to us. Like, whoa, pay attention here. It is not good that man should be alone. And so God says it, and then he starts to put it up, up, an action plan. And I will make a helper suitable for him, for him. Now, the Lord God, verse 19, had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever they called them, each living creature, that's what their name was. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found, found for him. I find it interesting how God works to bring about his will for us in our lives. Now, I shared this with the Genesis class. I just, I find that how God's methods for making his ways our ways are just beyond me. He often takes us through a process that we would not have chosen to allow us to come to the realization of what his will is for us. And many times I don't even realize that he's actually doing it in my life. But as we are in relationship with God, as we are in relationship with God, God is faithful to use the circumstances around us to reveal the work he is doing in our hearts. And in Adam's case, as he was naming the animals, something happened in his heart and his mind, and he came to the same conclusion as God concerning Adam's lack of companionship. God's like, I didn't create you to be alone. God just didn't sit there and tell him. Now he can. God can choose to do direct revelation if he wants to. But he works supernaturally naturally. He gave Adam a task to do, and as, God, as Adam was in relationship with God, serving God, within that context, what happens to his heart? He starts doing what God asks him. Then through that process, he's realizing, hey, something's going on here. There's two of those, or they belong. Okay, what's going on? Hey, well, there's something going on. I don't, I don't fit. I've got a hole in my heart. I'm broken. I'm lost. I'm alone. Who put that there? God did. God allowed him, Adam, to feel what God felt for him through this process. I see you're alone. I didn't create you to be that way. Now, what did Adam do? Does he go to meet those desires? Get on eHarmony and make it happen? Now, Adam, Adam could have gone ahead of God and ended up with a beast of a wife. just joking guys come on but you know what I'm saying 
No, he was following God's lead. He was obeying him, and God put him to sleep. Praise God, amen? He went to sleep, verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man and he said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. This is what God had in store for man, woman. It was as if they were custom made for each other because they were. She was taken out of his side, not from his head so that she could be over him, not from his foot so that he could walk over her from his side. Equally created with different roles. That's the hard part this day, isn't it? Somehow we think equal is same. Equal in value, equal created in the image of God, both male and female. One is not above the other in value. And as we read in men, are stronger than women for the most part. Why is that? So that we can lord it over? So that we can provide, protect, work. That goes against everything we've talked about. Women are nurturing, far more nurturing than most men. Amen? I find it interesting that God's design isn't for them to compete but to be one, flesh, complementing each other, that I'm not whole in the, in the woman. I'm, I'm not complete. Coming together, one flesh. That's what God designed. Look at you two. You're awesome. God's idea. Love it. So, God, he brought this woman to Adam. He said, whoa, man, you know? It was awesome. That's how it is in the Hebrew. But those of you who are not married, go to sleep. Don't go ahead of God. Go to sleep. You don't want to end up with an animal. You know what I'm talking about. You want God to bring that person to you in his time, and it will be right. So go to sleep means to rest in the Lord, to rest in him, okay? doesn't mean turn off your sensories. But rest in the Lord. Pour out your heart to him, but wait for an answer. He will speak as you are in relationship with him and as you are doing what he's placed in front of you, amen? And for those of you who have gone ahead, there is grace for you too. God is so powerful and so good. He can overcome. Where there is sin, grace overflows. Let his love overpower your life. Get back into relationship with the Lord and listen to what he's saying and just do it. And you will see God begin to work in your life and to restore things. Now, it might be difficult because of the circumstances we've chosen. God is still powerful. He will be with you through it. Amen? But this is God's intent, parents, to your kids. 
you see something else, fight for it. Fight for God. Let it just let them know this, that it's not the best, and you know how it is. Hormones, you know, young age and all that stuff. And you think you know about a person, and the parents look at the person going, "Yeah, no," <laughs> but they're perfect. No, no, no. Hold on. I'm telling you, there's nothing more than a godly parent wants than for their their kid to have the right spouse. And I tell you what. I'm looking for that person. And obviously, you know, you got to work out your own flesh stuff because sin gets in our hearts as parents, right? But you are looking for that person and saying, man, wouldn't that be awesome? Go for it. And I want to be around you, protect you, and help you to do that. If you look at how God designed us, and we'll read it here in a minute. But, and this is the reason why man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh but there's like a bond with fathers and daughters and there's a bond with mothers and sons that kind of transitions to husbands and wives so fathers you know have that be looking over your looking out for your daughters until that day you hand them off you know mothers looking over your sons you know because that nurturing is supposed to turn into something different when they get older. But that transition has to be led by the Spirit. So be be vigilant in that and pray about these things. I'm not perfect in my understanding whatsoever. But Adam goes to sleep, and God meets his need. And that is why, verse 24, man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. This is important to know about marriage. It isn't limited to a piece of paper. It's a spiritual unification of two people by God. The two people become one flesh. And this is why God wants us to stay pure until the day of our wedding. What a novel concept. God wants us to stay pure until the day of our wedding. God wants us to stay pure until the day of our wedding. God wants us to be pure until the day of our wedding. How does the world feel about that? At least American culture. You know? This is desire for us. The world mocks this and spits at it. How, you, how will you know unless you try things out? My thinking when I was younger, things that people told me. Let's go into the tree of knowledge. Good and evil. That way it leads to death. It leads to shrapnel for your future spouse. Don't do it for those of us who have. Amen? It's a minefield with many amputees. Go to God. Trust Him to give you what He desires to give you, which is life and goodness. And as you seek Him and as you serve Him and put His kingdom first, all these things will be added to you. And I just want to encourage you, if you've gone ahead and you've blown it, like most of the world, God can restore. God can restore. He loves you. So this is not a message of condemnation. This is a message of grace. Go back to the Lord. Repent. God will do a work. 
Christine and I have a verse that the Lord has given us together that speaks to the principles we've been talking about. About going to the Lord and trusting Him in all things. And He gave it to us. Psalm 37, 4. It says, Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, and feed on His faithfulness. Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, feed on His faithfulness. And I love this. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of His heart. Because as you delight yourself in the Lord, guess what happens to your desires? They become His. And that's what He wants for us Christians. And that's what He designed for Adam, that He would be a reflection of Him. That we would be a reflection of Him. So delight ourselves in the Lord. Be preoccupied with delighting yourselves in Him. And let that light shine so much in you and change you so much that the life you live now you live to Christ, and it reflects his glory. And God says, and you're going to ask in my name, Jesus said in John, you're going to ask in my name, and my Father is going to answer those prayers because it is, it glorifies him that you would bear much fruit. It, would show, it also shows that you're his disciple. And this is prayer. Spending time with God, hearing from him, living life out, living it according to his wisdom, asking and he answers, asking he answers, asking he answers. And when he doesn't answer, he has a really good reason. And it's sweet. And I walk and I live. I'm a testimony to God's grace. Not Matt's credentials, not Matt's unmumbling speeches I give, perfect grammar, and I say every word right. <laughs> the testimony to God's grace. He's so good. Amen? And you are too. You are too. God's grace. I see it. It's working in and through you. Go to the source today. Let him love you. So, I want to read the rest of that verse. Psalm 37, verse, four, verse 5. It says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his ways, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. When God says it, it happens. You will inherit the earth. Wait on the Lord. Church, God desires that you go to him for everything. Begin to pray if you haven't been already. Begin to read his word like eating food or drinking water. Trust in him. Wait on him. And do what he's placed in front of you. As soon as, and, and soon you'll find that your desires will become his. And you're going to ask in his name and he will answer and it will be awesome. According to Jesus, this glorifies the Father. And last Verse 25, it says, And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. God's plan for marriage, speaking in the context here, as, as you wait and you seek on God, God's plan for marriage is a man and a woman that are able to be naked in front of each other and feel no shame. This is total acceptance and love. And it's because God put them together, and it's his idea. Not being so darn callous towards God that you don't care anymore and you can run down the street naked. 
That's called a depraved mind. That's depravity. But when someone can look at you and love you for who you are in spite of who you are, because they love you with the love of Christ, they choose you. We choose him. And how each of us need that in our lives. Amen? Go to God this week. Go to God every, in every aspect of your life. Let him love you. Amen? Cool. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for your design for us in marriage. I thank you that you have created us as individuals, man and woman, and that we are opposite and different for a reason, and that by your Spirit, seeking you, Lord, if it's your will, that we would come together and be married, that's awesome. And I pray for the marriages that... uh, have yet to be in this room. We pray for those who struggle with loneliness in this room. God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, speak to them this morning, encourage their hearts, and let them know you have not forgotten them. I pray that you would, that they would know that you are there, waiting. And I pray that, God, although we just seems like in my heart I come to you because I want something. I pray that even in spite of that, of coming to you because we want stuff, Lord, that you would change our hearts even through that process. That all of a sudden, Lord, it would click in our hearts that we would pursue your kingdom above all things. Pursue you, Lord, above all things. And that all these things would be added unto us according to your will. Lord, I lift up those people who are lonely, and I pray, God, that you would help them know that you are there, and you are the I am for this moment. Help them to rest in you. Lord, for those who have uh, decided to give their lives to another person, as husbands and wives, according to your scripture, Lord, they're together, they're one flesh, We ask that you would bless them this morning. God, there are so many difficulties in marriage, God. The the worst and the best come out, Lord. We ask that we wouldn't be people who would go to the world on how to figure this out, but we would go to you and to godly people and ask these questions, and your spirit would lead and guide and heal marriages, Father. That tree of life, we ask for the leaves that would heal the nation, so to speak, Lord, that you are that tree, Lord Jesus, that you would heal us in our marriages. We pray that you continue to do that. We pray for uh, parents who are struggling with how to be godly parents when they've blown it so much. We ask that you would just give them a word of encouragement and grace this morning, that they would be, they would know that, that, that it's not all doomed, that you're still there, you are God and you are powerful and you sit on your throne and there's nothing that you cannot do. And yes, Lord, we are in a reap and sow world, but Lord, your mercy is so abounding, God. You can even overcome those things, God. We ask for you to do that. We ask for those who have been divorced, Lord, in this room. We ask that you would bless them, Father, in their wounds. God, would you lead them and guide them to come to you, Lord Jesus, for the needs and the heartache. God, you are the I am. 
I pray, Father, for uh, your, your blessing upon this church, your sheep, Lord, who you died and bled for and love. I pray that your peace would flood their hearts only when they come to you. I pray they would have no joy in the world, Lord, apart from you. I pray that it would just uh, rot their souls, Lord, to enjoy everything that's going to bring them to death. But, Lord, in you, I pray that it would just be abounding joy and stuff they've never experienced before. Just give it all to them, Lord. And, Lord, this morning we, we lift up we lift up the church. We pray as a whole that you continue to lead us and guide us this day. You are our Father. You are our healer. You are our, you're our salvation, Lord. So continue to speak to us and just protect us from the evil one. In the name of Jesus, amen.